0: Robots Radio Games Lore Stories Community Just press play Welcome to the Fallout Lorecast The podcast that explores the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout Hey buddy bot do you know the really big wendigo colossus guy have you have you seen him before you mean earl yeah, yeah earl yes earl the wendigo colossus uh no i haven't gotten to meet him well that's good because he'll probably tear you apart he's a he's a really big mean guy um did you know that he used to be a minor didn't we all used to be minors no no not my <laughs> minor, not minor uh somebody who you know uses a big pickaxe and gets rocks from underneath the ground. Oh, I love miners You mean mine miners right like people who dig in the ground. Yeah, I call them dirt detectives <laughs> Wait what you call them dirt detectives? Yeah, it's like they're detectives, but under the ground Hmm. Yeah, okay. Well, that's an interesting way to look at it uh, so um, here you go. You go read those Grognak comics some more, and I'm going to do a show. Okay. Wow, that was that was too easy. I'm going to go see if I can find any more comics under the ground. I'm going to become a dirt detective. I'll see you guys later. Bye. Okay. Bye, Buddy Bot. Um, welcome everybody. This is <laughs> another episode of the Fallout Lorecast, and uh, Buddy Bot's been around a lot lately. I guess this week we're talking about Earl. Because this came up, uh, one of you guys actually wrote me and was like, hey, what is the story with Earl? And I was like, okay, that's a good idea. Why don't we talk about Earl? But also the miners in general in West Virginia. And so Fallout 76, let's let's get into the the meat of this a little bit. There is a lot of mining in Fallout 76. There's a whole section of the map where there are gigantic mining machines and you come across all of these interesting little stories. Now, why why is that the case? Well, mining is a big industry in West Virginia. And if we go back 100 years from today, we end up during a time period in West Virginia where the, the people who worked in the mines at the time and the people who ran the mines were at kind of a brutal opposition from each other. Because of the way that things had shaken out during the time leading up to about 100 years ago. Because you have, well, let's go back in time. Let's back in time. We go to the 1800s and the Industrial Revolution, which took root in the early 1800s and then through until the early nineteen. 1900s because of the uh, ability of people to unionize. Everyone's going to be like, "Oh my god, this this show's so liberal. You're so woke." Yeah. Okay. So let's uh, let's go let's go a hundred years ago, everybody, and talk about what it was like to be a miner a hundred years ago. And hang on because this is going to apply directly to Earl Williams and being a wendigo colossus. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring you through this. There's there's a through line here. So let's go, let's go 110, 120 years ago, the miners of and minors, the dirt detectives of West Virginia were working at their jobs, digging in the earth for coal primarily. And they were in a situation where they had to be on site in these very specific mines, these very specific locations where they were digging up coal out of the ground. And in order to do that, they lived in certain homes that were nearby these sites. And while they were there, they would eat at certain locations and restaurants. And this wasn't like there was just a city there already. The mining organization built the homes and the mining organization prepared all the food and created locations for them to shop for their clothes or whatever. They could order their clothes, food, and and all that stuff through the mining corporation. If you've ever been to a theme park, you understand what happens when your choices are limited. Think about the last time you were at, say, Disney World or someplace like this, and you decided that you got thirsty and wanted to order a Coke. Well, that... Coke normally costs, what, two bucks now? It, things have gone up in price. It used to be less than that. Uh, you sit down at a restaurant and you're going to pay like two fifty for a Coke with your meal. Something like that. You do that at Disney World and that's like a 7 or $8 Coke. And it's because they have you trapped. You're not just going to decide to spend. Take an hour to go all the way back out to the parking lot, get in your car, go somewhere out of the park in order to get a Coke and then come all the way back. Right. Same thing happened for these people, but it was their entire lives, their families. They had they needed a place to live because the man of the house at the time, this is the way things worked back then, had to go to work and he worked long hours. And so they had to rent these homes from the company that was running the mines. So that company could charge whatever they wanted. Same thing for food, same thing for clothes. These companies were in a way treating the miners like indentured servants, which is just a rung above slave. And so eventually the miners (laughs) decided that they, they weren't gonna stand this anymore. And so they unionized, they got together, they used their collective ability of all of them together in order to try to get what they wanted. And things didn't go so great. The mining companies pushed back against this and on top of it, decided that they needed to protect themselves and their investments. So they hired guards, basically, to, quote, protect their locations as if somebody's trying to come in and steal all the all the coal from them <laughs> which wasn't happening but they would have armed guards on location to make sure mostly that the miners did not break out and rebel against them and and whatever so now you have people working in terrible situations underground for long periods of time Breathing whatever fumes are coming out of the ground. It's a very not healthy situation for long hours now being looked over by armed individuals. You can see where this is going. So if we go back to 1920, 1922, we end up with situations like the Battle of Matewan. We're talking battles here. This is I mean think about it imagine imagine being so upset at the job that you worked at that that everything rose to the point where there were actual battles between you and the employees and the employer and their hired guns Can you imagine this happening at like a Taco Bell like oh Taco Bell treats us like like prisoners The Battle of Taco Bell Well the Battle of Matewan went like this it was between 275 or 300 miners in mingo county which is in west virginia and they unionized and joined the united mine workers of america in retaliation the burnwell coal and coke company fired all union aligned miners and gave them three days to leave the company owned residences then the officials came and got involved and everything else went kind of to hell so I won't go into all the details of this stuff because you guys aren't as interested in this as you would be what's going on in the games. So I wanted to give you this as a foundation to set the events of what happens with Earl Williams, because the events that happen in Fallout 76, although Fallout 76 doesn't take place in 1920, it takes place a considerable period of time later. The events of what happened here And many other places across the games are actually echoes of real world events. So who is Earl Williams? If you haven't played Fallout 76, you don't know what you don't even know what a Wendigo Colossus is because they don't exist in other games. So let's go back. This this episode was inspired by the question of when one of our listeners was getting through all the different episodes and they got to the Wendigo episode and they were like, was the Wendigo Colossus in the game yet? Was that something that existed when you did that episode? And I don't believe it did. So we didn't bring it up because we couldn't see the future, but, um, but since then, we've gotten the addition of a Wendigo Colossus. Now, a Wendigo Colossus is a gigantic creature. It has multiple heads and arms and big, weird limbs and all sorts of things. And it looks kind of like a gigantic, mutated Wendigo. And if you remember from the Wendigo episode, uh, Laney and I discussed Wendigos and how there's the whole myth about uh, eating other humans and that corrupting you and that kind of thing. And so that plays into the Fallout 76 version of a Wendigo. And in this situation, we end up with Earl Williams who is a miner or was a miner in Mononga before the Great War. We're going back to pre-2077. And he was a hard-working dude. He had a daughter named Maggie and Somehow his wife left him early on. And in fact, there's a conversation you can have with Maggie Williams, who you can meet in the game. who gives you a quest line and all of this stuff. And the, the uh, dialogue goes like this. You ask, do you have any other family? Maggie responds, it was just me and my pops. We didn't need anyone else. I guess now it's just me. Then you say, what about your mom? Maggie responds, what about her? She left us early on. Who knows what had got her first, the chems or the bombs. So it sounds like maybe she previously had an addiction. This is one of those dialogue lines that pops up in the game where it gives you kind of a sense of what's going on without actually telling you. It's it's kind of presupposed in a way. Um, so you've got Earl, you got Maggie. The year is 2075 and the organization Hornwright Industrial who has now bought the rights to the mine that Earl worked at, decides that it would be a lot easier to just replace all of the human workers with auto miners. And in general, the town thought this was going to be a pretty good idea because this town was not thriving. They were having some financial difficulties and having a new company come in with a bunch of auto miners that could more quickly and efficiently Tear out all the, all the coal from the ground seemed like a good idea. Well, they were able to get all the coal from the mine very quickly. In fact, we're told that the mine was exhausted, meaning every vein of coal stripped clean by January of 2076. So this is from April 2075 to January 2076. That's not even a year. Didn't even take a year. And so they decided, okay, we're done here. We've cleared out all the coal we can. It's time to leave. And Earl and some of his co-workers, some of the other townsfolk, were not too happy with it. They get drunk and they decide to steal some supplies from that mine before everything gets taken away. Thinking this is their one last opportunity to grab some stuff and keep it for themselves. So... They were inside the mine when supervisor Deke Sykes blows up the entrance and traps everyone else inside. We know this because of another conversation with Maggie. It goes like this. The vault dweller says, how did he end up in Monongah mine? Talking about Earl. Maggie responds, he and some other townsfolk got some liquid courage one night and decided to go up into the mine. I know that damn bourbon would be the end of him somehow. They kept going on about getting the last of what they could before that Deke Sykes from Hornwright Industrial closed up the mine. Well, that son of a bitch ended up blasting the entrance closed, with everyone still inside. The conversation continues, and the Vault Dweller asks, Why didn't anyone try to get them out? Maggie responds, You don't think I tried? I clawed at the rubble until my hands bled and they had to drag me away. They told me that my pops ran off and said the others left Mononga since there was no more work. I think it was some sort of cover up. They either got paid off by the horn rights to keep quiet or they didn't want to deal with the expenses of a rescue mission. So this was going to be a costly thing. And in typical fallout, post-capitalistic kind of ways, they decide that the human lives are not nearly as important as the cost, financially, of saving them. And you can imagine how that would affect somebody like Maggie, Earl's daughter. Well, the story doesn't end there. Let's take a quick mid-break, and we'll continue it when we get back. I am so excited about our sponsor this week, Marvel Strike Force. I freaking love... of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. Alright, here we are in the middle of the show, and we get to talk to our patrons. Actually, we're going to talk with our patrons next week. So jump into the to the Discord, friends, and let me know what you would like to discuss. There are some thoughts already. Brewing in there. In fact, somebody even recommended recently. Hey, why don't we talk about your favorite mods or stuff like that? So if you think that's a good idea, then jump in there and and let us know. We don't have any new patrons this week, but I get to shout out our sentry bots like usual. Thank you to Dylan R. and Larry D. for supporting and getting shout outs every week. And thank you to all 74 of our current patrons. Thank you so much, everybody. You guys are the best. And if you are interested in how you can join the Patreon, get ad-free episodes... Get t-shirts or stickers join us on future chats all sorts of different stuff depending on the tier you sign up at patreon.com Fallout Lorecast is the place to go do that and uh, we'd love to have you join us come come join in We've got time still before the end of the month uh, patron chat, which is this coming Tuesday night the 31st the end of the month at 9 p.m. Eastern 6 p.m. Pacific so go check that out and We've got a new one. This one is from the mighty Isaiah Isaiah J. Fox. Isaiah J. Fox. Did I say that correctly? From Canada, who writes, what a show. Incredible. Five stars. Absolutely outstanding. I love the chill and relaxed composition of this podcast. I adore the games and like this podcast even more. The way that this is presented really takes the cake for best lore podcast. It gets better every episode. It has a very lovely voice or he has a very lovely voice and is a pleasure to listen to. Respect, my friend. Respect the mighty Isaiah J. Fox. (laughs) Thank you so much. And you're from Canada. And thank you so much uh, to our Canadian neighbors for leaving reviews. uh, And you specifically. So that's going to be it for the mid-break on that stuff. But there is one other thing I wanted to respond to. I got a message on the Twitter from somebody who is very excited about the Fallout TV show coming out. And wants to... Get their dad involved, I believe. Something along the lines of getting the dad involved. The dad doesn't know much about the games. And what would you say to somebody? Just like a quick little minute summary of what Fallout's about in order to get somebody hyped for the TV show, which we still don't have a release date for. But I'm sure we're going to get something like that fairly soon. Here's what I would. Here's my minute summary of Fallout. And let me know if you agree with this or you would tweak anything. Remember, it's just a minute summary, so it's going to leave a lot out. Fallout is a show, if we're talking TV show, about a post-apocalyptic future. But in this version of the post-apocalyptic future, it is based on the events of the real world extended from today through 2077. And during that future timeline... The extravagances of uh, capitalism, our democratic system, the flaws in both of those systems and the other systems in the world really start to weigh on society. Society stops focusing on what or if we ever did focuses on what's best for the world and uh, the survival of the planet and the survival of humanity. And generally the power gets consumed and put into, maybe that's not the best way to phrase it, more power ends up in the hands of less people, like sometimes happens in human history, and a lot of bad decisions were made, and then the United States and China decide to bomb each other, and the world goes through a uh, nuclear winter, and then people have to rebuild. But in this world, radiation helps mutate things into crazy monsters, including viruses that get out into the world, and now we're 100, 200 years in the future past that, and everything's terrible. Welcome to Fallout. Is that a good summary? I don't... Maybe? All right. Well, <laughs> let's get to back to Earl and the rest of this episode, and uh, maybe some other little bonus thing here at the end here. So here we go. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. Welcome back. All right. Let's talk more about poor Earl Williams. Earl is stuck in... Underneath the ground with some of his co-workers and he can't get out and Nobody is able to help him Hornwright industrial who has all the leverage here Isn't gonna spend the money to dig him and some of his friends out In fact, they've even lied that maybe he was there by himself and that the other missing individuals just skipped town and left or something They're trying to minimize their losses here and the perception of the the public, but it doesn't work everybody's upset And in the meantime, Earl is underground, stuck. He's got all of this industrial mining equipment, but no food. There is nothing to eat. At the same time, there's another individual who sustained some injuries from the collapse of the mining tunnel that that locked them all in. His name was James. And in a very short period of time, they're not able to address his wounds. And James dies because they don't have any medical supplies either. And so time goes on. Now think about how many days would it take you to get to the point where you are so hungry that you decide you need to eat another person? Well, James is there. The only source of any sort of anything that looks close to food at all poor James and his body, and of course this is where things go in and fallout when they get dark. And so we know that several survivors agreed to eat James, and this include this included Earl. Some decided they wouldn't though. They would rather die than be eaten or eat another person. And how do we know this? Well there is a letter that is written that you find in the mine. And it says this time doesn't exist down here without the sun letting us know when the days are passing. I can't even remember the last time I ate, but I know it's been a while. People are starting to become desperate. James died from his injuries in the initial collapse and they already tried to feed us him at dinner. The thought of eating another human is, is impossible. What are my choices now? I either live and eat people or live and get eaten myself. I don't want either of those things. That's not truly living. I guess that only leaves me one choice. I suppose they might eat my body after I'm gone too. Better to be someone's dinner than to become one of those things. Become One of those things. What does that mean? We know that the process to becoming a Wendigo usually involves cannibalism. But whoever wrote this probably didn't see anybody turn into a Wendigo. Maybe be one of those things. Maybe they're treating the other individuals as no longer human because they're willing to do such a terrible thing? Or maybe they're starting to see those who are eating the others change a little bit? We don't really know. This is another one of those moments where it doesn't tell us. It leaves us to wonder. Now, what about Earl? At first, he questioned whether he should eat a corpse. And we know that he says it didn't seem right to him. We know this from his journal. We have some pages. We've got entry one from Earl Williams journal. You know, those games kids play where they ask you what you'd rather do. Would you rather starve or eat another person? Those games are supposed to be hypothetical until they ain't. Everyone said we shouldn't just let him go to waste. Shouldn't let his death be in vain. It still don't seem right to me. Is it enough to just starve if you can't face the person you've become? And then we get a uh, a second entry in another location. This one, the first one you can find in a metal locker near the Tinker's workbench in the entrance of this mine area. The second one is next to a radio inside the Hornwright industrial trailer closer to the boss fight. The second entry says I can feel the last bits of my sanity slipping. The lack of days and nights is driving me crazy. It makes me sick to my stomach to think about the things I've done. At this point, I'm not sure if I want to make it out of here alive anyway. I'm a damn monster now. Is he turning into a monster? Again, where are we at in the process here? Is he seeing physical change, or is this a more of a psychological, I've become a monster kind of thing? Well, we get a third entry in that same journal. This is journal number two, first entry, or second, entry two is what it's labeled, the the other journal. Journal one has entry one, journal two has entry two and three. I should phrase it like that. Entry three says, I'm always hungry. It doesn't matter how much I eat, I still want more. I can't control my urges anymore. People ain't dying fast enough to satisfy my hunger. I, I must do what I have to do. Please don't tell Maggie. And so we see the change in him playing out. Now, as with all of these things, it's a little funny. Like, why would you write this down? (laughs) Why would you want this to be documented when you don't want your daughter to find out? Because what if eventually people come down here and find you, like what happens in Fallout 76? And so you do find out that this is what happens, and you do have to tell or get to tell Maggie. And poor Earl is now mutated into a wendigo colossus and we don't get a glimpse into how this actually works because we don't know did he become a wendigo that then mutated more into a colossus and this has happened over decades or did he turn into this whole thing all at once was the mutation and the wendigo thing the change all together at the same time. And he just happened to become the most terrible of the Wendigos. Because when you do this boss battle, Earl calls in other Wendigos. Are some of those Wendigos, the individuals that were in this mine with him, or maybe he as a Wendigo Colossus has some sort of, way of drawing these other creatures to his side from even beyond the mine we don't really know what we do know though is that this quest wraps up with a holotape from Earl to his daughter and you bring it back to Maggie and it sounds like this hey Mags listen I know I messed up I never should have came into this mine in the first place. A few supplies ain't worth all this. Don't you for one second start thinking that I left you on purpose. And don't be going and blaming yourself either. (laughs) I can't be there for you anymore. But you're tough and I know you'll be okay. Never forget your pops loves you more than, more than anything. And that's the last thing we hear from Earl Williams and it wraps up Maggie's quest line. If you want to go do this, you can totally go do this. This is still something that people do all the time in Fallout 76. It's one of the big boss battles that people will trigger with a bomb dropped on the mine basically. And, uh, you can go fight Earl and take him down. And then he comes back again because you know, video games. All right. There was one other thing I wanted to share in this episode. Somebody else had written in and said, hey, I went through all the Vault episodes, you know, the early ones, way early, almost four years ago I recorded those, uh, and how come there isn't one for Vault 77? Don't we know about the Puppet Man? Why didn't you do one on that? And the answer is that, uh, well, there's really not that much there. Basically, the only reason we know about Vault 77 in the game, so in the canon of Fallout, is because of a Vault suit that we see in Fallout 3 that says Vault 77. That's it. We don't know where that suit came from. We don't know who was in that suit. We don't know if that vault still exists. We don't know. We don't know anything other than there is a suit with a 77 on it. That's it. And if you just stop there at the core info, at the Canon info, that's it. That's all we know. But Penny Arcade decided, you know, the the webcomic decided to do a joke on this vault, and they invented the Puppet Man. So even though this isn't canonical, it is referenced in the community. And people know about this here. I'm just going to read the wiki entry just real quick for you guys The comic follows the life of the sole inhabitant of vault 77 and his crate of puppets The first strip also shows vault 43 and vault 69 at the beginning of the comics The protagonist discovers that he was the only living person in vault 77 Accompanied only by a crate of puppets as part of the vault experiment During the first months, the vault dweller went through the initial panic and depression caused by being locked alone in a vault. He didn't actually open the puppet crate until one year, three months, and 12 days after the lockup. After apparently developing a multiple personality disorder, his second personality being the form of a talking vault boy puppet, he opened the vault to find himself in front of a rad scorpion the size of a Boeing 747, to which he quickly closed the vault. After taking some time to sleep on it, the Vault 77 dweller was successful in leaving the vault, riding a giant ant he named Mr. Pinch. In regards to the outside world he was rather positive noting that while it was hot for December he wasn't really a snow person. He has run into a mysterious ghoul that has only one arm and wears a vault suit without a visible number. He is later captured by slavers while they debate on whether to enslave him or simply eat him. The Vault Dweller tries to warn about his puppet as it's crazy and has killed before. That night, one of the slavers in a panic runs to another group of slavers telling them the puppet man has killed his partner and it's coming for them. The final comic shows the Vault 77 dweller along with the puppet standing amongst the pile of dead slavers covered in blood. The narrator concedes that the vault was a failure, but reminds the reader that the vaults were never meant to save anyone. So there you go. That's that's the story of Vault 77. That's it. That's all we get. And it's all from a comic that wasn't written by anybody at Bethesda. Uh, that's it. But thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. Thank you for being here, and... Grognak is a total badass! Yeah, uh, yes, Grognak is... BuddyBot's back from reading his comic. Say bye, everybody! Bye, everybody! All right, we'll see you guys next time. And uh, try not to get stuck in a mine, because you might have to eat your friends and then become a Wendigo Colossus. All right, we'll see you later. To plug into everything else we're doing, check out robotsradio.net, Reach out to me on Twitter at robots underscore radio. Check out the Robots Radio Rocket Club, where you can join me and a bunch of our other creators creating your podcast, starting a new podcast, or helping your current podcast grow. There's more information about that on robotsradio.net as well. And you can always talk with us and the entire community, over 2,000 people on the Robots Radio Discord. Come join us. We'd love to chat with you. See you guys next time.